Welcome to the weekly message from Rama Family Church. It is our hope that as you listen to this message, you will come to know Jesus better and be established in your faith and equipped for the work of the ministry. You can view the sermon notes and listen online at rama.org.au forward slash media. This is the last Sunday of the month, and so uh, we're, we'll start a brand new series next month. Uh, so this month has been a little different. We really didn't do a series. It's kind of been like a word and season. So that kind of is what's going on today. Uh, and so it came into my heart to do this message called Take Up Your Cross. Take Up Your Cross. So we have a scripture in Luke chapter 9 and verse number 23. And here's what it says. It says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So you notice there that I underline take up his cross. And so the, this is what Jesus is telling to all of us to take up your cross. And uh, so we want to talk about that today. So it's always good to like say what it doesn't mean. So taking up your cross, what it doesn't mean. To take up your cross doesn't mean that you take up, si- if you have a sickness or a disease, taking up your cross doesn't mean that that's, you know, you, I have sickness, so I've taken up my cross, and I'm going to faithfully carry sickness and disease to give God glory. And I, I know that's been out there, but uh, you can't, you have to compare Scripture with Scripture. And so if you really understand the Bible, you'll see that when Jesus was crucified, that the Lord put, God put sickness on him. By his stripes, we are healed past tense. And so he doesn't make exceptions. So even if somebody doesn't get healed, they don't really, it's not proper to go to the Bible and say, well, the Lord spoke to me and told me that this sickness is to his glory and I'm carrying this cross of sickness. It sounds good, you understand, but you can't change what the Bible says. So we, we don't always have answers why somebody doesn't get healed and, and uh, we don't know everything, but we can't change what the Bible says. So if redemption included and we call redemption the atonement also, if the atonement or redemption included healing from sickness, and then is it for just some people and not for others? Okay, so you can do your own study. Uh, so I, I know, and I've, and I've told you this before, growing up, I grew up in a denominational church, so the brother that was two years younger than me, he, uh, grandma epilepsy came on him. Uh, when he, I, I can't remember how old he was, it was before any of us could drive, you know. But he was told by our, the person, you know, the, the, the minister at our church, that that was the cross God gave him to carry and that the Lord trusted him more than other people. And so he gave him that cross to carry because he couldn't trust anyone else to carry it. And so that doesn't give you any hope. And you can't, you think, why, why would you do that? You know, so, so you hear those kind of things, but you have to go back to the Bible. So taking up your cross doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean also it's, you know, taking up your cross is in a mysterious thing where each day is gray and cloudy and it just, it's a confusing kind of life. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean you must go full time into the ministry and move to another country. Uh, some people do, we did, but that, that, the, the, taking up your cross is not the same for everyone. It, it doesn't mean even, uh, and I thank God for the person that did this and really blessed a lot of people, but it doesn't mean we need to go home and get out our saw and, and construct a big cross so we can carry it across Australia. 
you know, uh, so there was one that was called to do that and was a great influence, but that doesn't mean that either. So we want to look into it today. Uh, and when you think about this, that Jesus, he could have used something different other than a cross when he did this illustration, but he chose to use the cross. So the reason that he did is, but, well, there's a great, there's a lot of symbolisms with the cross. So what we're going to do today is we want to look at just mainly two things. We want to look at five symbolisms of the cross, and then we want to look at simply how, what is and how do we take up our cross, all right? So that, that's all we want to look at today. So let's look at the five symbolisms, and there's, there can be more, but we only have so much time. So here's the first thing that the cross symbolizes, okay? The cross symbolizes purpose, okay? So the cross represented the main purpose Jesus was on the earth. That's what the cross represented. The main purpose that Jesus was on the earth. And you see in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, it says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So Jesus, because of the cross, the cross fixed or set Jesus' course. He came here, and he came here for one purpose. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. I, he could say that I'm set on a course. So he had a great ministry while he walked on the earth. He taught, and he preached, and he healed. But it was all going toward that cross. He had to get on that cross he had to suffer, and he had to die. The cross fixed his course. Okay, so uh, when you think about it, that cross kept him focused. And even the cross, you know, sometimes uh, Christians fall into this thing where they're, they're always looking for something new and exciting. And when you really, you know, when you see Jesus and, and how he walked on the earth, he was very dynamic. He was very fruitful and effective. But he was set on a course, and he wasn't like looking for anything new and dynamic. He was set on that course. He picked his cross up. He knew where he was going, and it, and it set his whole life. So we could say this um, for ourselves: If we take up our cross, it'll set our course, and it will keep us focused. Now think about this. The Apostle Paul, the only reason that he wanted to even stay on the earth because he did want to go at one time, was to finish his course. So he picked up his cross, and that cross did so many things in his life. So if you look at Philippians chapter 1 and look at verse number 23, he said, I am in a dilemma, my earnest desire being to depart and to be with Christ. For that is far better, far, far better. So you see that he was in this dilemma and he actually wanted to leave the earth. Now that, that's when people that really have a revelation of heaven, they would be like that. And it really wipes out all fear of death. And that's an awesome thing. Perfect love casts out fear. Isn't that awesome? But then if you look at the next verse, look at what the cross can do in picking up your cross. He said, but for your sakes, it's more important that I still remain in the body. And so what you see there is when he picked up his cross and he decided to do what he should be doing, it caused even selfishness. The cross even will eliminate selfishness. I'd like to go home to be with Jesus, and that would be far, far better, but because I've picked up my cross, I'm going to stay for your sake. 
So think about Christianity and think about purpose. The cross symbolizes purpose. If every Christian uh, could get past themselves and think it's not about me, it's for everyone else's sake. Because, you know, that's the way that Jesus lived. And so that's the way that we live. When both of our daughters were gone and they were, you know, one married, if you're uh, visiting for the first time, uh, we have two daughters, 24 and 22 years old, and uh, one married an American and she lives in South Carolina. Now the other is uh, on a, in China, serving in a church in China. And so when they both, and my, uh, my, the two days that I've dread the most were each one of the days that I took my daughters to the airport. You know, because my daughters are my little girls, you know, and anyone knows me knows that don't mess with my girls, <laughs> you know. And so what, what each one of them, when it came to taking them to the airport, I dreaded that day, you know, to have to say goodbye to them because they're moving on the other side of the world. But it's, it's so amazing how the grace of God, so, you know, it was easier with Liliana. She flew out of the international terminal and you really can't go in there. But Annalisa flew through Sydney, and so she did domestic, and she says, come, on, come inside with me. And I go, oh, I don't want to prolong this. And so, you know, she checked in and everything, and, and so then she, she wanted to just sit on a bench with me out near the coffee club at the domestic terminal, and she's fidgety, and she's putting her arm around, and she, you know, it's really, it's really awkward and uncomfortable because we, did, we didn't want to say goodbye, you know. But um, we did. But the most amazing thing is when I got in the car both times and I start driving away, the grace of God comes on you. Now, Patsy and myself, we both thought, well, our girls are both gone. They're in different places, <laughs> opposite sides of the world for each other. But I th we thought, why are we here? You know, and your flesh can get tempted, like, why are we here? Our girls are someone else. But then that's actually a good thing because you reevaluate and you think, it's not about, you know, my feelings. You know, here's the thing. We're, thank God for Christianity because we're all going to spend eternity in heaven. And so I left uh, my family and home. So I have nieces and nephews that I don't know that well. And then they have kids. So, and I hardly know their kids. Sometimes I don't even, they have so many kids, I don't remember all their names sometimes, you know, and uh, with Patsy's side and our side. And we don't really get to spend time with them. But the cool thing is with Christianity, we'll, we'll be up it will be up in heaven for eternity. And so those are the kind of things that the core, the cross is so powerful that it will keep you focused. So it was a really good thing that we examined ourselves and said, what are we doing in Australia? And it was nice because the Lord shows up and said, this is where I want you. And this is where you belong. And it, it gets settled. So you're not letting your feelings or you're, you're not getting uh, directed by those kind of things. And you got to be strong. But you know, we're going to be up there together uh, for eternity. And that helps. That's another thing the cross can help with. Here's the second thing that the cross, the second symbolism of the cross is that we see is humiliation. Okay? And so Jesus' main purpose for life was also his place of humiliation. Isn't that great? You know, the main thing, and then it ends up being humiliation. So I'm sure some of you could be thinking this question like, well, are you saying that if somebody feels like their purpose in life is to go to university and become a doctor, and then after they go eight or 12 years, depending on if they specialize or whatever, and after they do that, are you trying to say that, that if that's their main purpose in life, they would be humiliated for being like a surgeon or something? After 12 years of university, I think a surgeon has to do. 
And no, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. And anybody that studies 12 years to be a surgeon, they should be, you know, they should pat themselves on, on the back and we should uh, give them some honor. The Bible says to give honor where honors due. But we do have friends that are doctors and surgeons and one in particular told us that when you're working amongst that group and you decide to pick up your cross, because picking up the cross doesn't mean that everyone goes you know, into a preaching ministry. You, everyone's a preacher, it just depends where you do it. So we are friends with a surgeon and we were told when you talk about Jesus and even divine healing amongst that crowd, you get confronted and resisted. And so it's like when you pick up your cross, there's humiliation. You decide to come out. You decide to come out for Jesus. And you say, I'm a Christian. And I believe that uh, I'm here, I'm a surgeon, but I believe that God guides my hands. And I believe that even when my hands touch the patient, God's healing power flows into the patient. So there, I can do a double whammy. <laughs> I'm a Christian surgeon. And, and there's double whammies going on there. But you say that to somebody else and you come out like that and then you're going to get persecuted, that's where you get humiliation at. Okay, and so all of us, when we decide to come out, you know, we can be, there can be humiliation with that. Now going back to Jesus in Isaiah 53 in verse 3, it says, he is despised and left of men, a man of pains, acquainted with sickness, and as one hiding the face from us, He is despised, and we esteemed him not. That's when Jesus, of course, was on the cross, and he was like beat so terribly, and sickness was put on him and all those things, and Isaiah prophesied that. So you can see how humiliated it could have been for Jesus to be on the cross, but let's let's look at it even from a different angle here. When we were uh, in Singapore, we were there four years, and Singapore is such an interesting place. you know, it's mysterious in some ways, even there's so much money that there and, and the money flows over there. And so uh, we had a, a Bible school. We didn't pastor in Singapore, but right on the front row, there was this older lady. And sometimes the Singaporeans, they don't always dress to show the money they have, but there's an older lady sitting on the front row and we began to discover how much money she had. Like if we had a guest minister in and she would come up and put a check in my hand and say, pass that to the guest minister. And I look and it's 6,000 Singapore dollars, you know, stuff like that. And uh, so with our Bible school, we asked the students, we said, well, it's required that you do Christian service. What does Christian service mean? Well, each of you have to serve somewhere. You, you, and you should serve in your local church. So, and, and so this lady came up and said, what, what, what should I do in my church? I said, well, why, why don't you go ask the pastor if you could help clean the church? And she goes, do you know who I am? Do you know what I would look like if I picked up a broom and somebody saw me with a broom? She said, that would be humiliating. And, and I, I didn't know who she was. Obviously, she had a lot of money. <laughs> and in her mind, it would be very humiliating to be seen washing a window or sweeping with a broom or something like that. And so we thought, well, we, we got to work with her because... If you're not willing to do that, it doesn't matter how wealthy you are and who you are and your reputation. If you're not willing to pick up a broom or wash a window, you're going to have hindrances in your Christian walk. So the, the good news is we worked with her for a while, and she started to clean her church. And, her, and of course, her pastor was thrilled about it. But, you know, it was to her humiliating. So sometimes, you know, we can be something out there 
but the Lord will have us do something different in here, in the church. And we have to be willing to humble ourselves. And sometimes, for some, it could be humiliating. Okay, look at Matthew 27 and verse number 39. Uh, it says, the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. So this is when Jesus is hanging on the cross. And it says, look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. And so they're mocking him because he's, you know, he's just connected to that cross. He, he was born for the cross. He was destined for the cross. The cross was his purpose, but it was also the place for, of humiliation for him. And so, you know, people will do that sometimes. They'll, they'll, um, they'll bring up to you, well, if you're so knowledgeable, then why are you doing this? And if you're so that, why are you doing this? And, and sometimes, unfortunately, I, really, as Christians, we should really get skillful in the way we communicate with people. And we shouldn't say provoking things. We should learn how to communicate. And so that's something that we can all aspire to where we don't ask these provoking questions that belittle people. Um, and, and so that's something we can all do. I, I know that um, when I left Bible school in 1983, and I did travel for two years while I was at Bible school serving uh, Kenneth Hagen, and we were in a lot of different churches. We would, we would do a church every night of the week and I, I met a lot of pastors. We were, we, we were in stadiums, you know, with full stadiums. So it was a real, at that time, uh, the ministry that the Lord gave him was really peaking. And uh, it was really exciting. So then I left Bible school and I went back to my hometown. And my brother, who's four years younger than me, the Lord directed him to plant a church in our hometown. And then the Lord directed me to actually be his assistant and clean the church, okay? And so, um, so I'm, uh, you know, and he moved into a, our, our um, city, growing up was about 60,000 people, and we had a general mortars plant there, and, and uh, it, it, it had a couple other divisions like Packard Electric, which that doesn't mean anything to you guys, but they make wiring harnesses, and my father worked for Packard Electric, but they sold wiring harnesses to other uh, car manufacturers, and they really paid well, Packard Electric, and they, they employed, you know, like 24,000 people, like Lordstown made cars, they employed 24,000 people, Packard Electric was less, but you understand, our town was only 60,000 people, and most of them worked in the car industry, okay, so that's the kind of town, so then they started to lay people off, we had a couple steel mills too, where they made steel, and then the steel mill industry went over to Japan, and they closed the steel mills down. It cleaned up the air, the pollution, thank the Lord, left. And we had more sunshine when the steel mills closed. But many people moved out of our town. And there were actually five schools that they closed down. So my brother got one of the schools to use for a church. So it's a big, you know, grade school with a lot of different rooms. And so the Lord tells me, he said, I want you to clean this whole thing, every room from the ceiling to the floor, you know, and et cetera. So I'm, I said, okay, you know, I, I just, I guess I've always been pretty simple. So when the Lord says to do something, I say, okay, it's really simple. So I'm on the floor and my mother, you know, she taught me how to deep clean, 
Does anybody here know how to deep clean? There's one, you know, there's like light cleaning, then there's deep cleaning. Sometimes we call it spring cleaning, you know. So I'm down on the floor, and I'm, I'm washing the toilet, you know, and I'm getting behind it. It's the first time. You don't do that every time, you know. But I thought, well, the first time we'll do a deep cleaning on all these toilets. So a friend of mine that I went to Bible school with, this is like 7 o'clock at night. I wasn't married, didn't have anything else to do, so I was working long hours to get the building caught up. And uh, he, he, I left the front door open, and he startled me, and he came in, uh, and he goes, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm, I'm cleaning these toilets. And he said, but I, my question is like, why? Why are you cleaning toilets? And I said, well, the Lord told me to. He said, Tony, he said, you know so many pastors you got to be known serving Kenneth Hagin. You could have your own ministry. You could book up and travel. You can incorporate, get a corporation, and you're doing this. He was like startled. And I said, I'm doing this because the Lord said, he didn't tell me to go into my own ministry. He told me to do this. And I said, why don't you join my team? It was just like me, me and no one else. And, and here's what he said. He said, I went to Bible school with your brother. He's my peer. And I'll never serve him because we're equals. This is what he told me. Now, I went to school, Bible school with my brother, and he was four years younger than me. But the, at that time, the Lord gave him a spiritual gift called pastor. And so he became my pastor, and I served him even though he was four years younger than I was. And, and I tell you, when you're willing to do things like that, you position yourself. And I said all that to say, so one night, one night, uh, somebody kicked a glass off the stage and it was like tile floors in a school auditorium and it, and it broke. So I, I went and grabbed a broom and a mop. I, you know, you sweep the glass up first and then you mop the water up later. So I did that. And I'm, while I'm doing it, this sweet older lady comes up to me and you might say, well, how sweet is she? Well, she was so sweet that she wanted me to marry her daughter. You know, I didn't, but she liked me. And it's amazing how sweet people that really like you stuff can come through their mouth and humiliate you. So she goes, poor old Tony, you went to Bible school with your brother, he's preaching and you're sweeping. And she tried to belittle me because I was cleaning. And, and you know, people don't, you know, they don't know that, you know, all we're responsible to do is what the Lord says. And if, if there is a prophet that's unfaithful and there is a cleaner that's faithful, who's gonna get more rewards in heaven? an unfaithful prophet or a faithful cleaner, you know? And so I, you know, I just looked at her. Now, you know, Kenneth Hagin would always say he would have mini visions and then he would go M-I-N-I, mini vision. They were always spiritual. Well, when she did that, I had a mini vision, but it was not spiritual. It was, and, and I, I pictured myself putting my finger in front of her nose and saying, you think I can't do what my brother can do? I'll show you. But see, that's what the devil would like to do. And that's what your flesh would like to do, where you get provoked and move out ahead of God and do what you shouldn't do because you got a little bit offended. But I just smiled at her instead. Thank the Lord, because the, the Bible says we have the love of God on the inside and we're constrained by the love of God. And the love of God constrained me. But I did go home. And when I got in my bedroom, I said, Father, I'm following you. You said to do all this. My life is in your hand. I trust you. You'll get me to where I need to be one step at a time, and, I'm, and, I, and I just stay put. And that's the way that you handle those kind of things, okay? So <clears throat> getting back here 
to look at this here about Jesus in, in Philippians 2 and verse 8. Uh, we're like, well, I got ahead of myself. Let's look at the number three and look at suffering. Okay, so we talked about humiliation, but now suffering. So it says uh, the cross was the place Jesus served and the place that he suffered. So it's kind of like humiliation, but it's interesting. The place that you could serve can also be a place that you would suffer. Uh, so, as again, it wasn't suffering sickness and disease, but it, it can be a place where you suffer in the soul. Somebody once said solical suffering, if it's such a word. And so, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 8, it says, And being recognized as truly human, he humbled himself and even stooped to die, yes, to die on the cross. And so the very symbol and the very thing that was the purpose for Jesus was also humiliation in a place of suffering. Look at 1 Peter now and look, and look what it says here in verse, uh, chapter 4 and verse 15. It says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. What does that mean? Well, if we stay out of the flesh, we won't do any of those things. You're not going to murder somebody if you act like a Christian and walk like one and all, etc. But then look at verse 16. It says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, just like the surgeon came out and, and said, I'm a Christian, and then got persecuted for it. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So when we talk about picking or taking up our cross, it's kind of like coming out and serving God no matter where we are. So the, the doctor was uh, persecuted and confronted because they decided to come out and declare that I'm a Christian and I believe God is a healer, Jesus is a healer, etc. So that's like a way that the cross was picked up for the doctor, okay? Here's another thing about the symbolism of the cross. The cross also, as soon as Jesus was born and he decided to take up his cross and he got on that cross, it brought public visibility. That's what happens when you decide to take up your cross. The doctor, the surgeon said, I'm a Christian. Immediately you get public visibility. Jesus hung on the cross. Immediately everyone looked at him. It was very public. As soon as you decide to take up your cross and come out, people know who you are. So, uh, so Jesus, you know, we know that he took up his cross by teaching and preaching and healing and all that, but then he was put on his cross and he died on that cross. Here's a few thoughts. The only true and eternal legacy is a result of us taking up our crosses. Okay, so, you know, I don't know anything about Steve Jobs as far as I don't know if he accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. If you don't know who Steve Jobs is, he was the man that invented or created Apple. So the Apple, Mac, the Mac, Apple. Steve Jobs, genius, entrepreneur, inventor, billionaire, got sick and died of cancer. Now, we on the earth might say, what a legacy, the billionaire, look what he did. But as soon as he left the earth, if he didn't go to heaven, he's not really impressed about what he did on the earth. So when I say that the only true and lasting legacy would be what we do with taking up our cross, that's the only way that it will last. 
And uh, it's difficult really to hide once you come out and take up your cross. But I, I do want to say this. There's people I know in our church here, uh, and one man, he'll probably be at the 1030. He came up to me, and he's retired in his 70s. And he said, Pastor Tony, I'm not able with my, you know, where I am physically and everything to do physical work. He said, but I want you to know I pray all the time for the church at home. And he comes to prayer group here too. He said, so I want you to know that my part in taking up my cross, he didn't say that, I'm just saying it because we're talking about it now. He didn't say taking up my cross, but that's what I took it like. His part right now is he's praying and he's a faithful prayer. Thank God that's what he can do right now. Okay, so you know when we talk about taking up your cross, sometimes when you come out, you're visible but there's other people that have taken up their cross and they are behind the scenes and they're doing things that nobody knows. It's all important and it's all needed, okay? Now here's the last thing that we want to say today about the five symbolisms. The the last thing we want to say is it also symbolizes exaltation. Okay, so the final consequence of Jesus taking up his cross was exaltation. All right, now look at Philippians 2 and verse number 8. It says, In being recognized as truly human, he humbled himself and even stooped to die. Yes, to die on the cross. We looked at that already. But look at the next verse. It says, It is in consequence of this that God has also highly exalted him and has conferred on him the name which is supreme above every name. So we could say, and that's the reason I used the word consequence there. There were other words I could have chose. But the final consequence of Jesus taking up his cross was exaltation. And the final consequence for us when we take up our cross will also be exaltation. So here, here's a thought when it comes to taking up your cross. Deciding to take the low road exalts us to the high road. Okay. And, and they, um, they, they had a, a thing that, another thing that I did when I lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma, after we were married, I was placed in what they call the mail room. And the mail room was a, a place, a big place, like uh, at that time, there was so, so much mail going out for the ministry of Kenneth Hagen, who I served, that they had a big warehouse and a mail room, and you just kind of put books and packages all day and mailed them out all over the world and it was, it was a big job. So I was put into the mailroom, and I received a little persecution from people uh, when I was put in that, that mailroom. But here's what, here's today, the ones that were in the mailroom. So there, there is a Rama ministry in Mexico, and the director of Rama Mexico works side by side with me in the mailroom. And so I could go on and on, but they used to have a saying there, if anyone's willing to humble themselves and work here, they're probably going to end up somewhere else. And, and you know, your goal wasn't to do a stepping stone mentality is not good. So it's not like, okay, I'm going to humble myself and do this because I want God to put me here. No, no, it's like you humble yourself and serve and you don't really know where God's going to put you and you're willing to stay put unless the Lord comes to you and says, go there. And when he comes and says, go there, it really, he'll place you there and you won't have to strive. It'll be easy. But when you try to place yourself somewhere, it's difficult, and you'll strive, 
Okay, it's not by grace. Okay, so the people that decide to take the low road, that exalts them to the high road, but it might not be tomorrow or the next day or even the next year, et cetera, et cetera. You don't know the timing. Okay, so uh, when we were in Italy, uh, a friend of mine, and I, I, I was sad that he thought this way, but he said, uh, you and Patsy, that's, if you're uh, a guest today with us, Patsy's my wife, and uh, he said, you and Patsy, uh, you left America and came to Sicily, and you have a handful of students here in a Bible school in Sicily, and what are you doing? And, and this person said, you need to go back and move back to America your ministry was on the verge of exploding in America and you left it and came here for a handful of students in Sicily. Now, I don't think ministers should think that way and I was a little disappointed. I must say I'm not very close to that guy any longer because I didn't like the way that I didn't know the person thought that way. To think about fame and you know all that kind of stuff. It's about obedience, okay? But here's the interesting thing. We're talking about exaltation. You know, like uh, that went off me like water off of a duck's back. You know, you know what that means. Like water really goes off a duck's back fast. I didn't even consider what that guy told me. Interesting though, two years later, we're in Sicily and the phone rings. They had faxes at that time. It was even before emails. But the phone rings and it's Pastor Hagen from Tulsa. And he goes, hey... I want you and Patsy to preach at camp meeting this year. This is two years later, and, and be the, some of our guest speakers at camp meeting. Now, that happened way long ago. Uh, so camp meeting was in a stadium in Tulsa, and they, it could seat 10,000 people, and it was usually full. You, you think I was seeking? I wasn't seeking that. I, I didn't care if, uh, if I had 10,000 people to preach to. It didn't, as a matter of fact, Man, I was really nervous, to be honest with you. And I, I did Saturday, and you know who preached Saturday morning? John Osteen. Now, he's gone home to be with the Lord. And you know who preached Saturday night? Kenneth E. Hagen, the father. And you know who preached Saturday afternoon? Me. I, I was like, I was in, I actually was in the hotel room and I was crying. I, I said, Lord, how could you do this to me? I'm in between these two men. I didn't feel qualified. I didn't feel, you know, uh, but, but it's interesting because, you know, the, the guy said, move back. And, you know, he's thinking about ministries exploding. We, we don't, you know, why do we want to think that way? It's like, do what God says to do and stay planted and, and don't do anything, unless he's, anything else unless he says so. So then we did that and we went back to, to, uh, we moved the Bible school from Sicily to Rome, and we got back there. And that particular year, we had 12 students. But thank the Lord, you have to learn as you serve. You can go from preaching in a stadium with all those people, but then you go back and you have 12 students for nine months to give the word to. And it shouldn't matter. It, you, you should be as faithful with the 12 is you were preaching to a stadium full of people, okay? So when we talk about this, we're talking about, you know, the only way to position yourself for exaltation is to have the proper attitude, okay? All right, let's finish up here. Let's talk about what is 
and how to take up your cross. I think we already said enough about taking up your cross and gave some examples. Let's go back to that scripture again and look at it. So Luke 9 and verse 23, it says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And so you notice there that I underlined a few things. Well, I didn't underline a few things. I should have. Um, But notice there uh, it says that, uh, it says, come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So I want to just look at this. Now, we talked about these symbolisms. So if you go to that next screen, go after him is purpose. Deny self is humiliation. Take up the cross is suffering and public visibility. And follow me, that leads to exaltation when you follow him and stay planted and humble yourself. Okay? So just a few closing thoughts here today. Here's some thoughts. It's going after him that supernaturally changes our desires. And and what do I mean by that? If you try to take up your cross before you go after him, it's out of order. But the first thing you want to do is go after him. Okay, because that's where the purpose is. That's where the great, and and we'll say, so here's a few thoughts. Without him, Okay, without him, our desires are without heavenly purpose. Without him, we will have no power to deny ourselves. Okay, but with him, the things of the world, they seem dull because, why? He's so bright. So, like, even for denying, if taking up your cross and denying yourself, that means, like, the things of the world should not be that important to us. But if you try to do that without him, it's all in your own strength. It's without grace, and it's your strength. So with him, thank God, our desires are God-inspired. So here's a, a, a thought. Going after him supplies us with the knowledge, strength, grace, and anointing to take up our cross. It's just so much better to do it that way. If you try to take up your cross first without coming to him, you do Christianity in your own strength. Look at this, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. It says, then he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority. I like that. They're going to go out and do great things, but I like it. It says, then he called to him his 12 disciples. The first thing Jesus did is he said, come to me. Then he gave them some stuff, and then they went and did some stuff. Okay, but he first says, come to me. So uh, for some, as I was preparing today, you know, if you've lost focus, if you've lost purpose, you know, what is your step? If Christianity hasn't been as exciting to you, if you haven't, if you feel like you haven't really been taking up your cross and So what do you do? Well, here's the first thing, and it's because God is so great, there's not guilt or condemnation. And until Christians learn not to allow guilt and condemnation to come on them, they'll always be paralyzed. Guilt and condemnation will kill you. It will kill your dreams. It will cause you to be unfruitful. So the first thing you know is God's not mad at you that you haven't opened your mouth and told somebody about Jesus 
if the only reason you open your mouth to tell somebody about Jesus is so God isn't mad at you, you're being motivated by the wrong stuff. Okay, so that's the first thing. You have to understand that. So with that said, you simply go to him. Say, Lord, i kind of been like wavering a little bit. I haven't really been plugged into you. But I, I thank you, Lord, that uh, your, your blood cleanses me. I'm cleansed by your blood. I don't receive guilt, condemnation. Father, I, I want to just consecrate and dedicate myself to you brand new. I, I, from this day forward, I am going to be sensitive. I'm going to be aware. I'm going to take up my cross. You just talk to him. Just giving you an example. Just talk to him. Don't receive guilt and condemnation. Don't feel like you're a nobody, like you're worthless. That's all garbage and lies. Okay? So you can talk to him. And, and you know, if, when you go to him first and follow him, it, then it does prevent, it prevents us from taking up ambitions instead of the cross or even true vision. There's vision that comes from heaven and then there's ambition. By putting him first and going to him, it, it can eliminate ambition. Uh, look at this in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 33. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him had compassion. So this is, this is like the, the story where there were two that passed him by. The Samaritan was the third one. And when the Samaritan saw him, when he saw him, it said he had compassion. Now, we all can have divine compassion. The difference that compassion makes when we're motivated by compassion is it will actually drive us and when I say drive, that might not be the best word. It will motivate us to move. And so because of divine compassion, it says he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then it says he set him in his, uh, on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So, so here's a few final thoughts. Divine compassion, if yielded to, will help us to supernaturally deny ourselves. So when we say we're going to him, the first thing we want to do is we go to him. But by going to him, it positions us, and if we humble ourselves, it positions us for divine compassion to kick in. Now, if we yield to divine compassion, that's where the power comes from. So what am I saying by that? Well, this guy, the Samaritan, I'm sure he was busy. I'm sure he was busy. You know, the other ones were busy, and they passed the guy by, but the Samaritan comes, you know, he stops. You know, what's the difference? Well, you know, the difference is divine compassion will cause you to go out of your way for someone because it's supernatural. Now, here's some thoughts here. Strife, bitterness, anger, and so on, short-circuit divine compassion. And why am I saying that? You know, it's really important. Like, as soon as a Christian gets into strife or bitterness or anger and anything like that, uh, you, you won't be motivated. You won't yield to compassion. And so if that happens, here's a thought, then the works of the flesh cause us to serve out of obligation instead of purpose, love, and compassion. You get that? So if you're, if you're in any kind of strife or bitterness or you, you want to get retribution, you're angry, all those kind of things, you'll, you'll, you won't be driven or motivated by compassion, but you'll actually, in that, in that place, you'll serve out of obligation. Well, I'm a Christian and I should do this. 
you know, so-and-so gets on my nerves and I got to work next to him and I'd like to give him a piece of my mind, but I guess it's just the right thing to do. <laughs> you know, those kind of thoughts. You know what I'm saying? That, that garbage has to go. You know, we can all, I'm sure that maybe I rub a number of people the wrong way and we can all rub somebody and somebody can rub us. But you know, we, we, we have love on the inside of us. So if we yield to that, you'll actually serve out of obligation instead of purpose. It's better to serve out of purpose, love, and compassion. So here's a final thought. And the worship team, you can come. <clears throat> Work becomes worship when you dedicate it to God and perform it with an awareness of his presence. And that's a wonderful statement that Rick Warren made in his book on the purpose-driven life. But I like that. If you could put that up there one more time, uh, and let's look at that. Um, work becomes worship when you dedicate it to God and perform it with an awareness of his presence. So what does that mean? That means no matter what you're doing, you can do it apart from God or you can do it with God. So surgeons, lawyers, bankers, uh, carpenters, sparkies, uh, school teachers, I can go on and on about all the different things. You, you can do it all apart or with. And I love that statement because work becomes worship when you dedicate it to God and perform it with an awareness of his presence. So no matter what you do, God can be involved in it. So what does that mean? If you've never heard that before, when you leave today, <clears throat> look at your work differently. <clears throat> look at your work as if it's worship. Okay? You'll have to think about it. You'll have to meditate on it a little bit. You'll have to think, well, what kind of adjustments can I make? You know, how do I look at work right now? And a lot of times people, they'll make churches spiritual and work is not. Work is secular or carnal and church is spiritual. So I do this for five days and then I go to church on Sunday for something spiritual. But think about living life differently, taking up your cross on a daily basis and then work becomes worship and you dedicate it to God. And while you're at work, you're really aware of his presence. And that doctor that I told you about, the surgeon, that doctor was so aware of the presence of God in the operating room. That doctor was so aware of the wisdom. That doctor trusted God when, when they used their hands uh, to do operations. You know, do, living that way. Let's all stand up today. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Why don't we say this together, then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll sing as we go today. Say, say, say with me, say, thank you, Father. I choose to go to Jesus. I want to go after you. I choose to deny myself. And with you, I'm empowered to deny myself. I can deny myself because of you, not because of any other reason. So I'm going to be very aware of you. 
wor- my work is my worship. I'm going to add you in from Monday to Saturday. You're going to be a part of my life every single day. Amen. Thanks for listening. We're always encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story you would like to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know and send us an email at church at If you would like more information or resources on this or other topics, or if you would like to sow into this ministry financially to help us share messages just like this one each week, please visit our website at rhema.org.au.